Hello, friends. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Lisa, Sharon Harper. Um, I probably did refer to her last episode as Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper. And um, just wanted to say, while she is a doctor in my eyes, I did misspeak. Um, she does not, she has her master's. Um, according to the institution um, that we live under. But in my eyes, um, uh, in my relationship with her, uh, Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper is doctor to me um, with her depth of knowledge, her understanding, um, her mastery. Um, it just impacts me so much in that way. So just wanted to uh, make that small note um and as we are decolonizing i think it's interesting for us to reflect on these titles and the the way that we kind of do credentialing um as a means of gatekeeping but that's neither here nor there um welcome back again to part two of this episode um just a really robust conversation that we will continue discussing uh, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper's ancestor fortune, and we bring it down to why it matters today and its impact. And so without further ado, we present part two. See you on the other side. Well, I have two questions. So mm -hmm. the, the first one, I live in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, so you know the whole history of what happened around the election when um, the former president yes. um, called and asked for 11,000 votes to be manufactured. Um, mm -hmm. When I was pondering this election, if you had wanted to bet me a million dollars that Georgia would go blue, I would have lost money. It, it, I wasn't even, I didn't even pray about it. It wasn't on my, I mean, it was just like not even in my mind, like this is not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but because of yeah. the hard work of Stacey Abrams, That's I, right. I, I was sitting there going, Georgia went blue. And then my county where I live yes. went blue. Okay, so it took the Georgia legislature about five nanoseconds <laughs> to rewrite the law. And so what you have to understand is, our state legislature is very Republican. Many mm -hmm. of the measures with um, uh, the, the voting measures were enacted by Republicans to make mm -hmm. greater access to absentee ballots, to make there be mo more polling, more polling locations to extend mm -hmm. hours, all Republican measures. Mm -hmm. And so when we had an ethical even a Republican, Republican ethical secretary of state going, I'm not going to do anything illegal. Right. So now the law has been rewritten, just like we talked about with oh, yeah. all this, all the things that you said that led up to it. So when 2024 comes around, and Georgia's not the only state that's done it, I'm referencing Georgia because I live here, um, it's not going to depend on an ethical secretary of state being willing to maneuver or, you know, it's the, 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 it's been taken, you know, they've, re they've rewritten it. That power has been, been taken away from them. Wow. And so... So then it comes wow. back to when you talk about it being man-made mm -hmm. and that giving hope because we can undo it in states like mine, even that doesn't give me hope because I'm look, I look at all the efforts that Stacey Abrams did when she lost the governorship. She really mm -hmm. turned her pain into passion and just mm -hmm. went to work. Yeah. And this happened. And then now here comes up with the stroke of a pen. So this time it, it won't, when, it, when, you won't have to do anything illegal. You just rewrote the law to make it legal. <laughs> it, wow. It's that backlash that happens every time. Every time every there's time. some progress forward, there's always a white lash or a, a backlash against that progress. Well, we need to talk about these first race laws, actually, because it does mirror what you're just talking about, what happened, what is happening in Georgia right now. So think about that. Back in 1662, they did something similar. They changed the law in order to benefit the bank bank accounts of white men. That's the bottom line. That's what it's about. Oh, yeah. It is about the bank accounts of white, and not all white men, actually. Landowners. Not poor white men. 
the noble class mm -hmm. of white men, you know, in terms of the, the landowners. That's who the laws were created to, um, to, to benefit. And, and how do I know that? So in 1662, um, you have this moment in the legislature where they have, um, when you, they've been looking back and they've been having a number of people since 1650, around 1650, they've been having a number of people of African descent um, claiming that they should be set free and going to court and winning their cases. And the reason they won their case is because like Elizabeth Key is a great example. And she's one of the first to do this in, in that in Virginia. She went to court because her father was a British citizen, English citizen. And so as a British citizen, he, you know, he can't be enslaved. And if and his children can't be enslaved because citizenship in Britain is passed down through the father's line. So, you know, so Elizabeth whose mother was an African because either he they had a love affair or he raped her. But bottom line is she was being enslaved by her father. So likely it was not a love affair. Hello, somebody. Actually, it can't mm. be a love affair because consent. it's the power. Right. Exactly. Consent and power. <laughs> mm -hmm. So bottom yep. line is her mama was raped, which meant that she was half African and half British. But because citizenship came through the line of the father, she was a British citizen, so she should not have been able to be enslaved. And to top it off, her father had baptized her, recognized her mm. as his daughter before the community, baptized her in the church. So she was recognized as a Christian. And according to English common law, you could not enslave another Christian. So she took this to court and won. And then there's like this flood of mm. other people mm. who whose pappies were, were English citizens and who were also Christian. And they began to take their cases and they won. So now they have this like bunch of people basically walking off the plantation saying, bye y'all, right? Like, see ya, um, <laughs> peace out, deuces, right? Deuces up. And so, so what happens? The legislature, the House of Burgesses is the planter class. They are the planters. They are the landowners. They are the noble class, the ones who are benefiting from that free labor. So what do they do? They could have done, they had several choices. They could have, they could have in that moment when Elizabeth Key won her freedom and also and several other people did too, they could have said, you know what, we're going to phase out the slavery thing. This is an opportunity for us to phase it out and actually create a world where it's work, you know, work for pay. And we're going to pay people a just wage. And we're going to, that could have been their, 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 their decision. It was not. They mm. could have done justice light. They could have said, you know what, we're going to phase out this slavery thing. And we're just going to go to an indentured servant, go back to an indentured servanthood um, system. And, you know, people will be indentured for a number of years and then they'll be set free. Mind you, indenture was slavery just with a time limit mm -hmm. on it. People yep. were maimed. They were literally had limbs chopped off. They were whipped. Um, all people, white, Native American and black who were indentured endured that. Um, so indentured was no joke. But they could have just put a time stamp on it and say, okay, we're going to, this is what we're going to do because we have so many of these mixed race kids here who are kind of challenging our current system. But they didn't. Instead, what they did was they said, no longer are we going to be held to the, to the English common law, which says citizenship comes mm. through the line of the father. Now we are going to be held to Roman common law, the, the law of Partis, which says citizenship comes through the line of the mother. And if the mother is a citizen, in other words, white, then the child shall be white a citizen and able to be protected by the laws. But if the mother is an, an enslaved African, then the child will be an enslaved African-American or a person of African descent in America um, and will not be a citizen, will not be protected by the laws. Do you understand this? And then they added two words that just sealed the deal in perpetuity mm. forever. So if your grandma's 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 grandma, you know, traces back to the first person who came here on the, on the, on, on the death ship or the Mayflower was, well, not the Mayflower, but on the death ship was black, then you are now enslaved. That is what that means. You are not a citizen. You do not have rights um, to be protected. And so you can be enslaved. That was how they did it. 
This has been mm. the MO since 1662. Mm. And it's always one thing I noticed um, in, in every single case, the twisting of truth, the gerrymandering of districts, the first gerrymander, by the way, was the three-fifths compromise. Mm-hmm. That was the very first gerrymander in history mm-hmm. in our, in our, on our soil. Um, the laws that are passed that we're not going to count the births and deaths of people of African descent just because it just takes too long. We're, it's not worth it. Right, so it's going to cost white men too much to count their their births and their deaths. So we're not going to do that. Um, even in Maryland, the very first race law was not did not come about according um, in response to the problem that they perceived in Virginia, which was these mixed race kids coming from a union of white men and black women. In in, in Maryland, the problem that they perceived was mixed race unions between white women and black men. They had 600 mixed-race kids born just in the colonial era alone in Maryland and Delaware. So you had, a, and they were all, they all traced back to white women, white women who married enslaved black men and had children. And so these planter-class white men said, we can't have that. So you know what they did? All right, white women, please listen up. This is who you are to to white men who are fighting for patriarchy. They said, white women who marry enslaved black men and have children by them shall themselves be enslaved Mm -hmm. to their husband's master until their husband dies and their children shall be enslaved in perpetuity forever. That was the very first race law in the colony of Maryland. And it was it was passed two years, only two, after Virginia passed its first race law. Over time, they started realizing that these planters, these 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 slave owners, um, and and you know originally these white women who were marrying these enslaved black men were basically indentured servants themselves. They were working together. They fell in love. They would do this. They would marry the black men. Well, eventually, after that law was passed, it didn't take very long. They started forcing indentured European um, descendant state. Uh, servant women to marry enslaved black men and have children by them in order to increase their free labor Mm. in order to increase their bank accounts Mm -hmm. so this catholic colony clutched its pearls and said oh we didn't mean to do that so basically over the next 50 years they shake it out and it ends up looking exactly like virginia if you're if you're lineage goes back to a white woman, you cannot be enslaved by the time fortune is, um, is born. And, uh, and, and, and by the time she's taken to court, um, because she has, um, because she was the product of a mixed race union, she could not be enslaved because her mother was white. Hmm. So instead she's indentured here in the first century of 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 america of of our life on this land you see in explicit terms the privilege of whiteness mm. and you and you see them shifting shape shifting the law in order to gain free labor and yes. here's one more thing i did the dna when i started finding out the last names the surnames of the people who had indentured fortune her daughter sarah Sarah's sons, um, Humphrey and James and others. And it turns out Fortune was indentured by Mary Day, who had been granted literally like pretty much all of Southern Maryland. She was granted that by Lord, by the first Lord Baltimore. And so she was a rich lady. She was like a noble class. She was the one that Fortune was told she needed to be indentured to. Turns out there's day matches in my DNA. Mm. Wow. Her daughter, Sarah, was hauled into court 
by Anne Fuchs. Anne Fuchs, likely also connected to the Fuch family, F-O-W-K-E. Um, the Fuch family goes all the way back to William the Conqueror in England. Like this was the noble class that got land, right? So Sarah, Fortune's daughter, was indentured to Anne Fook because she she bore a child, an illegitimate child, while in service to her and uh, indentured again. So she was given more time and her child was indentured for 20 something years. I did a DNA match search and found the surname Fook in my DNA matches. Mm. And interestingly, right after I found that, and I thank God I recorded it, I recorded many of the the, the match names, um, Ancestry.com changed. It's the way that it shows you, you have to have a certain amount of DNA in your blood for them to show you that you have the match now, whereas before, like they showed trace amounts, you have trace amounts and you're going back 10 generations, you know, seven, yeah. eight, nine generations, it's going to be trace. So that just got erased from my records. So you can no longer see those matches anymore. But I took the records. I took, I took, um, you know, the notes then and I have them. So Fook and Day are surnames that now show up in my matches, my genealogical matches. And for me, I see that as evidence that the law said that white men who have who bear illegitimate children with um, with mixed race children should or mixed race um, people women should be hauled into court themselves and also indentured, but it never happened. Of course not. It never <laughs> happened. It never happened. So they they shifted. It's like a Brett Kavanaugh moment, right? It's like, will yeah. Trump ever go to they, jail? They, they, no. They forced it through, right? They forced it through. They didn't. They they or they hid. They just kept the secret. Like so, Mary Day takes fortune to court because she's had an illegitimate child in her household, but she's not taking one of her sons or her husband to court for making that child. And yes. never Can either. we just un sit, sit with that for a minute? Hello. I, I explained this to my husband earlier today, and he said, okay, so mm -hmm. are you actually telling me mm -hmm. that you're already enslaved or indentured, however you, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're raped by the master, the uncle, the master's brother, right. whatever. Mm -hmm. And now you are penalized Right. For being right. For having a child. Right. That's yes. exactly right. And so what did that do? Who benefits from that system? The white planter class. Mm -hmm. It gives them the ability to breed free labor. Because every time one of your one of your servants has an illegitimate child, that servant gets hauled into court and gets seven more years of indentured service. And their children need to be indentured, are, are told by the courts they're going to be indentured for 21 years. Mm -hmm. So now you get 21 more years of free labor. Mm. And that's mm. not even to speak of the actually enslaved people yeah. who were in perpetuity. It all, all of it worked to give white men more money. Mm. Yes, so, 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 so heavy. Um, and I say that, I, I say that to acknowledge, one, the weight, but also mm -hmm. that, at, you know, we're about an hour into this conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah. when it airs, it's going to be in February, and February is Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And we must remember yes. Um, yes but i i want to maybe transition a little because it's so heavy and you're having to relive this and bring to life um your ancestors and and process this trauma and you're a minister as well like my first encounters with you is, is listening and hearing you preach the gospel. How do these things, how would you say that these two things interconnect with one another? 
Um, and I know earlier in the conversation, you talked about how racism uh, uh, in the construct of race um, arose over this myth of a divine right. But mm-hmm. um, how, how would you maybe talk about some of the spiritual implications? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, really, fortune is a natural next step from the very good gospel. In the very good gospel, I was really wrestling over this storytelling about the gospel that we've done, these four spiritual laws and the individualization of the scripture, um, really the Europeanization of the scripture, the whitification of the scripture. Say um, that, where say is, that. Yep, hello, yep. it's really We're true. We're about to have church up in here today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really true. I mean, the, the scripture was written by brown people who were serially enslaved and colonized almost every time we see them, except in the case of David and Solomon. But even David and Solomon were not kings of an empire. They were kings of a dinky little kingdom that kept getting sacked by empires. Literally, you know, God did not, try to make an empire with um with the with the hebrew people in fact god always whittled it down god always um you know made them dependent on him on on her on god (laughs) um but not on not on their own economic power and prowess you know Um, so they were never egypt they were never babylon they were never assyria they were sacked by babylon and 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 assyria and egypt they were taken away they were enslaved by these by these larger imperial powers and when we meet jesus jesus is born into a context where a brown colonized serially enslaved people is being um, subjugated by a white supremacist empire roman empire absolutely had at at the core of its understanding of the world because they they were they were students of aristotle they were students of plato they understood they believed in race to order society as plato taught us and they also believed as as aristotle and his contemporaries believed and aristotle said it explicitly in his book on politics that if if a group is conquered it is a demonstration that it was created to be enslaved um, in fact, he talked about he talked about races as civilized and savage. You know, he talked about the barbarians being savage. He didn't think of it yet in terms of color the way that we do. That took a whole another thousand years, you know. Mm-hmm. But but he did understand uh, racial hierarchy, people who were created to be ruled and others who were created to be to rule, and 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 they understood they would have understood a full human being is a man is white like us and is able-bodied that's Mm. a full human being so so then how does caesar see jesus how does Pilate see jesus how does herod see jesus Mm. herod this brown man or maybe light skin right (laughs) but he's a brown man who is a proxy for caesar who's doing caesar's dirty work hello Clarence Thomas, right? So, yes, for real, for real, real. right? Hello, prophecy, speak truth to power. (laughs) But it's for real. That that's who Herod was. That's Herod today, right? Who will who will lay down? Who who will enforce um, white patriarchy? Because it's benefiting him because he's getting kickbacks, right? For for mm. for being for being their boy. Yes. And so, um, so when that's who Jesus is, he's a brown boy, born in the same year that other brown people rose up and tried tried to um, do an insurrection against Caesar in northern Galilee, in the area where he was born. And Josephus tells us that an army came through and killed 500 brown people a day, crucifying 500 per day in Northern Galilee. There wasn't even that many people there. So every single family was impacted. Every family had to be impacted in the area where he was born in the year that he was born. 
So that's our Jesus. Our Jesus is brown Jesus. And when Jesus then at the in the in the top of, of Luke and Luke 4 looks around and says and he comes into the into the synagogue and he opens up and this is his inaugural address, the king has come. The king of the kingdom of God has come, but the kingdom of God that he's proclaiming is not the four spiritual laws. It is, I have come to free the oppressed. Mm. Yes. And the oppressed are him. Mm. It's his people. It's the people who were crucified the year he was born. The families that are sitting in that synagogue and who every last one of them were impacted by that by those those crucifixions. Every last one of them lost somebody to to crucifixion by a white nationalist empire. Hmm. That's who Jesus is. But so I did some wrestling and that's what the very good gospel is all about. It's about wrestling and now understanding that the, the, the gospel as I understand it now is that Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God has come in order to confront the kingdoms of men that are hell bent on crushing the image of God on earth. And this is significant because the ancients, when they would have read that first page of the Bible, when it says, and let us make humankind in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion, what they would have heard is that the image of God is like the image of the king. The image of the king in every civilization up to that point had only been placed in the kings and queens. Sorry, the image of God had only been placed in the kings and queens. Um, and it was meant to be a marker of where God rules. God rules in this king and queen. Like So the, the Babylonians did this. The Assyrians did this. The, the Egyptians did that. That's just the way the ancients did it. So when they declare on that first page that every human being bears the image of God. It is a break with the way everybody's known it up to that point because they democratize power on the first page. Now get this. They also would have understood that very first, um, that, that very first uh, page to be a declaration that the kingdom, we are, we are the representative figures of God, of God's domain, of God's kingdom, God's reign. We represent God in the same way that a coin that has Caesar's picture on it and goes all over the empire is a representation of where Caesar rules. You see that? Yes. That's mm -hmm. what that means. But where you see an empire, where you see a kingdom that but it has those images of the king melted down, twisted, covered over, erased, obliterated, then you know there is war against that king in the kingdom yeah. or war against that kingdom that's happening in that moment. That's what the indicator is. So what if when we govern in ways that crush the image of God, Herod, that crush the image of God, Trump that crushed the image of God, McConnell mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. crushed the Come image on. of God, gerrymandering that crushed mm. the image of God, eminent domain that crushed the image of God, separate and unequal schooling that crushed the image of God, lack of transportation yes. in black communities that crushed the image of God, no fresh food, mm. good food in our communities that crushed the image of God, no green space to walk around in and experience peace in our communities that crushed the image of God. What if when we govern in ways that crush the image of God, we are actually declaring war against God? Mm. Mm. So, so fortune, fortune is an exploration of the ways that governance on this land has declared war against God. Mm. Mm. And it's a call to repent and repair what this, these constructs of human hierarchies of belonging have created in the world, how they broke the world. Mm. Mm. I received that. Mm. Mm -hmm. I just received that. I just Thank received you, brother. that. Mm. Um, 
I have a question. I'm, I'm trying. To, <laughs> that was that was so deep. I left a white evangelical church in 2015 mm-hmm. when all I don't even need to explain the reasons. You, you know the reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they were you know, mm-hmm. going there. And um, I was having a conversation with a friend earlier today. You know, will you ever go back? And I was like, I don't know. Um, I can think the, the, the churches that I have um, experienced, like, you know, via the Internet, everybody was online or anywhere near me. Um, and so one of them is in Chicago, Otis Moss. <laughs> like, oh, I was in yeah. Chicago. I'd go there. Absolutely. Um, but like, and, and, and this brings me to my, because every time I listen to him, he is talking, he's going to bring up something that I'm like, I have never heard that frame that way before. As I was going through Fortune, the, 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 the electronic thing said I'm like 65% of the way through it. It was the oh, same good. thing. It was as much of this as I have, you know, I have read, you know, cast and the warmth of all these. But there were still things that you were pulling out that I never heard this before. And so um, that brings me to my question. I want to read a quote that really spoke to me about the book. And then I want to ask you a question about narrative. So you call attention to the importance of narrative. You do that in the Global Writers Group as well. Mm -hmm. But this is what you said. The stories of the conquered and exploited have rarely risen to a height to be seen or heard beyond family and local community. These marginalized narratives must be pushed to the center. We must see them. We must reckon with them. These stories unearth the details of how and why and where racial hierarchy was built and protected. These stories reveal the details of the loss born of the practices, laws, systems, and structures created by human hierarchy. These suffocated stories raise a primal scream that cuts to the bone and reveals the depths and contours of our shattered souls. And so that brings to mind for me the question of how do we ensure that more marginalized narratives are pushed to the center and that they gain a public audience? What you were just preaching, because that was a whole sermon right there. Yes, uh, so so, so it, I, I live in metro Atlanta. In the metro area, there are like six million people. So if I could find the church who's telling me about that, yeah. Um, Hmm. Then I might have some incentive to get in my car and and, and go. Mm -hmm. Um, But my greater question is, Mm -hmm. how do we get these stories told more? How does it become mainstream from your perspective? What are your thoughts on that? However, you whichever direction you want to take that question. I'm really glad you asked that question, actually. I mean, what I want to say is that the stories you can I Before you answer it, can I also add, Mm -hmm. given that we have a diverse audience of white bodied people mm-hmm. and 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 black folk and brown folk um are there nuances to that question as well given those considerations mhm mhm okay thank you i i strongly believe that one of the most powerful ways in fact maybe one of the only ways that we can counter the false narratives that have been woven, like the false narrative of the lost cause, the false narrative of um, of America was great when, right? America was great when it was run by white men, basically. Um, America was great when it didn't have to care for poor people, white, black, brown, or purple. Mm-hmm. Um, America was great, right? Um, that the false narratives, even the lies that are told about our own cities and towns and how they came to be. And the fact yes. that race riots are completely covered over the fact that monuments still stand in our, in our towns telling a, a, a false story, a lie about how, who we are and how we got here. Um, the only way or the most, not only the most effective way, I think for all of us to participate because some people like Bree Newsom can go, you know, literally climb a flagpole and whip down that flag. 
literally. Yes. And, and some people can protest, you know, a, a monument. And some people like Brian Stevenson can build a monument um, and start an art project and things mm -hmm. like that. All of these things need to be done. These are all truth telling um, ways, um, ways to begin to tell the truth in the world. But I think the thing that all of us can do is we can all subvert the meta narratives that are being told to us in order to entrench white male power yes. by investigating our own family stories. Mm. All of us, all of us can do that. Mm. All of us, all of us can put together a family tree and not just be concerned with, you know, how many people you have on your tree or you know, oh, I got the names. I mean, that's a good, honestly, it's a good start just to have the names and birthdates, right? But to find out what was happening around them when they were living in the world. What was happening in their town? Were they a part of it? Were they, were they pushing against it? Were they pushing against the civil rights um, uh, movement in, in North Carolina? Or were they for it? Were they a part of the civil rights movement in Atlanta? Or were they, were they part of the segregationist movement that was trying to maintain purity of white space? Were they enslavers or were mm -hmm. they enslaved? Were they indentured if you were a white person at some point? And if so, when were they set free and what did they do then? Oh my goodness. When I was researching the McGee family, right? There's a whole, there's a whole um, paper that's been written about them in the Scottish um, uh, like a Scottish newspaper, Scottish American newspaper, um, a, a scholar who's actually out of, I believe, Rice University has spent his life, it seems, um, studying the McGee family, or at least many years. And he, um, he, he traces them, they moved eventually from Maryland, the guys, the men, and they, they basically disowned their mom. You never hear, even in this, in this man's um, telling of, of the story of, the, of George McGee, Maudlin's husband, he never mentions Maudlin once. It's almost like the children were, came poof into the world. So mm -hmm. that, like, that historian has erased a part of the history. And I don't know why they did that or if they just didn't know, but it's actually readily available in the work of Paul Heinig, um, the genealogist uh, who has done I mean, his whole life's work has been to study the free black families of North Carolina, South Carolina, Maryland, Virginia, and Delaware. And so in that book, that's, that's how I found out that Fortune was the daughter of Maudlin McGee, and Maudlin McGee was the wife of George McGee, because it's in the court records. Mm. It's in the court records. And Sambo was his, was Sambo, second son, was her father. It's all in the court records from when she got indentured. Um, and so, but what he, what um, Paul Heineck, um, or I'm sorry, not Paul Heineck, what, what um, this genial, um, the McGee scholar uh, found was that the McGees moved both west and then they moved south. So they moved principally down into Georgia, actually. And then from Georgia, they basically moved west. So they moved from Georgia into Alabama and to um, Louisiana, Arkansas, and then eventually to Texas. So they basically, and they changed their last name from Muggy, M-A-G-E-E, -E, to Mickey in order to blend in with the Irish people there because the Irish and the Scots at that time were, you know, at odds because the Scots were doing the English dirty work um, in, on Irish territory. And uh, during the plantation era, before America's plantation, the Scots, the Scots were manning English plantations on Irish soil. That's what brought the Scots here because, yes, girl, yes, <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, the Irish rose up against them and killed thousands, thousands at a time. And so the, the Scots ran and said, we need, you know, we need a safe place. So they came to Maryland. They came to Virginia. So eventually these Scottish people then moved down into the South and they changed their last name to McGee and they become some of the largest slaveholders in the South and wow. plantation owners in the South. So, you know, you got to know. You, I mean, once you understand your history, once you white people understand how you got here, you then maybe you can dislodge the talons of this ghost called whiteness from your backs mm. and simply be fully human.
grounded in an actual story that had actual struggle, where actual decisions were made that got y'all here, usually escaping oppression or poverty. Mm. And so uh, that's my strong belief is that if we, white, black, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter, Native American, if you, and Native Americans usually know their history, I mean, they, they know, um, because it's been passed down orally, right? And, and they've been able to retain that, because, actually, ironically, because of the reservation system and the fact that, that clans stayed together um, for, those who, for those who did not escape, right? So my ancestors escaped, and so we're in, we ended up in this netherworld of identity, not really being able, not being claimed by anybody, um, and, uh, and, and being assaulted by the um, American government as a result. And so if you can reroute yourself in your people's story, then you have the, the hope of being fully human. And by that, I mean white people being simply human, no longer, no longer claiming the privilege of whiteness, but rather claiming the earthliness of humanity. Joining in solidarity. Yeah. Simply human, yes. And people of color, people of African descent, learning that you are fully human, fully human, fully called to exercise dominion in the world, fully um, rooted and connected and remembered to your people, your story, who you really are. Ashe. As they said in as they said in Black Panther, right? Tell them who you really are. <laughs> right? So so that's I believe that's our next project. And that's all of our work. And as we do that work, those larger narratives that they that they spin in order to manipulate us into voting one way or the other will have will have um, less of a hold because we'll know the truth truth sets our sets us free hallelujah amen yes yes yes. <laughs> how have you taken care of yourself <laughs> You've uncovered a lot of history and mm -hmm. we're giving the advice for others to go uncover a lot of history. And we talked a little bit about sort of this latent trauma uh, mm -hmm. arising. And I'm just curious, how did you, how are you caring for yourself as you're, yeah. um, and cause I'm, and I'm curious if, if you foreshadowed this maybe earlier, when you talked about our ability to heal and be rooted into the trauma of, of us that is happening now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To have clean pain mm -hmm. um, because pain is always going to come because we're in a broken and fallen world. But the goal is to not have compounded like pain that's not dealt with and then has layered, layered pain. So what have I been doing? I mean, literally since, since um, the lockdown, I decided that I was going to, I was also at a period where I was beginning um, to write the book and um, I had gotten an agent and we were working through the book, actually we were working through the proposal at that time in 2020. And, um, and it was painful. It was really painful to go back through it and to, to, to and it was also tedious. I mean, it was incredible amounts of research that I had to do in order to get stuff right. And um, what I noticed was that, I had a choice here again, choices. I had a choice. I could, I could use this lockdown as a, as an excuse to eat myself into oblivion. At that point, I was already at my very top weight ever. Hmm. Um, um, and it wasn't actually, I, I reached that point in like January of that year, January, 2020. And so I had already decided I need a change. Otherwise I'm going to die. Um, I could literally die. I mean, I had episodes on planes where all of a sudden I could barely breathe. I was like, oh my God, what's happening? It felt mm. like a heart attack, but I didn't know. And then it was gone. So I didn't know maybe it was indigestion. I have no idea. But the bottom line is I made major changes. I did a cleanse uh, and fast that kind of entered me into a new phase of life and, um, and then decided to, to change completely the way that I eat. So now I'm a gluten-free vegan. I mean, an actual one. 
gluten-free and vegan. Ooh, and, and it has the spirit I, showed up. <laughs> What's going on over there, yes. Olivia? <laughs> oh wow! Why I'll you, have to why explain later why they're laughing at me because like, <laughs> oh, in love, in love, in listening to hear it. Oh my yeah. God, that's hilarious. Yeah, okay. so that's that's been my yeah. Um, <laughs> I get it. Continue continue okay so so i'm a gluten-free vegan and i and I, I i weaned myself off of meat and pasta actually flour um breads um that are made from wheat um and rice um even rice uh, for me is just not and i know rice mm. is like the thing in south carolina it's, it's south carolina gold mm. but you know the reality for me is that all of those things for for my body makeup carbs are just not good. <laughs> um, I am addicted. I, I mean, I am an addict. I am a sugar and a carb addict. And we you know I have one and I know it's a slippery slope from there. So I just decided to cut it all out. And, um, and I've lost 60 pounds since then, literally 60 pounds over those two years. And, and I also started therapy, not with just one therapist, with two therapists throughout the, literally throughout the, um, uh, the lockdown and, and um, particularly 2020, 2021, um, my two therapists was one was a head therapist, one was a body therapist, one was a somatic Medic. therapist, which deals yes. with right, which deals with the body yes. and that 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 pain that is lodged in our muscles and our body and our breath. And she taught me what it looked like to listen to your body and to care for your body and taught me the links between what's happening now, what I'm feeling now in my body and what could be intergenerational um, trauma that I need to actually, you know, face mm -hmm. and deal with. And that's the reason I was eating so much was to cover that pain, mm -hmm. right? So it was to, was to numb that pain. And, uh, and then my head, my head psychologist, I'm still with her and she's wonderful. I mean, just incredible, really awesome black woman based out of LA. And we've just been on zoom for two years now. And, um, but I'm dealing with my stuff, right? Like I'm just dealing with my stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that my, and I, and funny thing is I have, my big goal, um, has been to then also now get strong. Now I actually, and I, and let me say just buying the house that I have is a three-story house. Um, because in, in Philly, you, you, it just works that way. Um, and, uh, but I have this three-story house, which means I get exercise every single day, going up those stairs and down the stairs a million times a day. So my legs are, my legs look hotter than they ever have. Let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yes. I love my legs. Show the legs. the next time we come around, right? So, so I, you know, so, but, but, you know, I, I think there's still resistance in me somewhere, somewhere deep. There's resistance. And so I'm working on that right now with my therapist, mm. um, resistance to the exercise thing and really getting strong. And I don't know why that is, but I bought um, a Peloton, you know, months ago and I've, I've been on it one time, one, one, <laughs> but I'm in the middle of a cleanse slash fast right now. And actually Saturday is my last day. Hallelujah. Mm. And, and my, my, my promise to myself is that within one week of finishing that cleanse, I have to get my strength back up first. But I will actually get back, get on that Peloton and I'll actually begin mm. to use it on a regular basis. Part of it, honestly, was that the seat hurt. So I, I switched the seat out. I think I should be good now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. All, that's, all of that is so, so interesting. And, and um, you're, you're making me nerd out a little bit from, from my healthcare background of just the, mm. the integrated, holistic mm -hmm. solution yes. that this yeah. requires. It's a human solution. Yes, human, yes. Human, human solutions are asymmetrical. Human solutions are not made of metal. They're not man-made. They're organic. And um, human solutions, uh, you know, they actually are, they are 4D, 5D. You know what I mean? Like they, they have to deal not only with your body and not only with your exercise, but with your eating and not only with your exercise and eating, but also with your soul and not mm. only with your exercise, eating and soul, but also with your mind. Um, so if it's going to be a human solution, a human healing, you really do have to address all of who you are. And that mm. also, it also includes relationships, right? So allowing yourself to, um, to move, to lean into 
um, the kinds of, of relationships that might be frightful or, you know, that, that some kind of trauma has actually made you move away from mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. in order to heal, there's the moving through, the moving through. Mm. Oof. Oof. What happened for you right there, Becca? So um, I have a confession. I'm slightly distracted. And um, because I want I was going to actually save this for after we close out the episode. Um, but Lisa, what when you said going back to the McGee's, um, what was the second spelling of that? Do you remember? So it was Maggie, M-A-G-E-E, -E, mm -hmm. right? In mm -hmm. the 1600s mm -hmm. in Maryland. Um, and there's lots of other spellings of it, actually. So M-C-G-E-E -E is a okay. very common one in, in Atlanta and in the South. Mm -hmm. um, but they also had M-C-G-H-I-E, I think okay. was another one, or E-I, I don't know, I think it was I-E. Um, so really, basically, when you see McGee, Mm -hmm. It's it's related to those folk. Yeah. I mean, it's basically related, especially if they've been here in America. They can trace their their family back for long periods. I just I have some Irish relatives mm -hmm. on my side, that mm -hmm. Texas, and but there it's a with a K. It's a M C K E E. Um, yeah, and, and so it made me. Yes, Texas you know, is like, a very big place for the McGee's. Like it just yes. made me think of a link of. I haven't, I don't have enough information gone that far back, but plantation owner and, you know, there, it was, um, it, it made it very, um, again, I do not want this to be white focus, but it, it made it very real, your story, another level for me. Mm. So Tommy, that's what you are seeing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, I love it. it it's, it's, it's so I love what I love about this podcast and permission to be is, often like none of the questions are pre-scripted and so mm -hmm. we're doing a lot of processing um in real time and mm -hmm. truly what like the conversation that you've bought today like i've been pro like i'm processing even the neighborhood that i live in right now is called enderly park and mm -hmm. it's named after enderly estate after a senator uh, a north carolina senator who, guess what, was a captain in the Confederate Army. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. Absolutely. Like the wow. Na uh, wow. The neighborhood adjacent to that is called Camp Green, and it mm -hmm. used to be a, like a, 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 a National Guard military training. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then we start to talk about eminent domain. Down the street, there's mm -hmm. uh, maybe five minutes away is Loop 277. And it was built on top of a thriving black neighborhood here mm -hmm. in Charlotte. Yeah. And they broke that up intentionally. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. Intentionally because they needed to establish and protect the supremacy of whiteness. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think That's about the ecological impacts. I grew up with asthma. I have not had an asthma attack in quite some time. Um, mm -hmm. So it was like childhood asthma. But I think what was in my environment in my exactly. childhood, mm. we live right down the street from they're now inactive. Um, but there were these industrial plants that mm. were contaminating oh, yeah. the air. And so Absolutely. childhood asthma was rampant in in this area. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happens in black communities because they they lack the political power to keep those plants out. And so they're normally um, in the in the study that was done by the UCC, the United Church of Christ, back in the 1980s. And then again, they did another one in the 2000s um, called um, uh, Faith Faith and Race. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm botching the name right now. But it's basically a study of where do you find toxins in the world and in our nation? Like, where are you going to find it? And there was a one-to-one -one correlation with wherever there were people who were brown and black, there were toxic dumps and um, and dumping in those communities. It's not that every community had toxic dumping. It's that every toxic dumped community was brown mm -hmm. and black. Yes. Mm -hmm. Every last one. Yeah. So even just the expanse, um, 
the impact of the work that you've done for yourself individually is already having a collective healing effect mm. or, or a mm. collective call right. into this action, to this contemplation, to this mm-hmm. truth telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe I want to sort of land us or ground us back into the conversation, but I'm really curious to, um, we, we mentioned reparations earlier um, and I always love talking about reparations in Black History <laughs> Month. Um, but alongside that, again, um, what might we say or you say in terms of reparation is need in, in sort of the, this intersection with um, our faith and this healing? And alongside that, maybe um for i i doubt people sticking with the conversation for this long need this clarification um but has god evolved for you even in this process hmm. well that's a really great question and let me just also say it's toxic waste and race is the name of the report mm. it just it just came to me toxic waste and race so you can look that up and that they have one that was done in the 1980s and then a follow-up in the 2000s um, just to say, is it, is it still the same? And it turned out, yep, still the same. Mm. Um, So has God changed for me? I think my relationship with God has changed Um, no longer. And I wrote about this actually a while back and no longer is Jesus like, you know, do I think of Jesus as my boyfriend? (laughs) Mm, right yeah yeah as, as my, as my hello yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right, that, that whole purity yeah, culture yeah right so no longer is jesus my boyfriend no longer is he just my like my my date um you know for my quiet times um no jesus jesus is my brown jesus jesus is and brown mary raised him and jesus um was an absolute revolutionary and i don't even propose to wrap my mind around all of all of him all of what he meant i think that we are all of us many of us anyway who are not um who are not resisting it but many of us are in this place where we're realizing that our understanding of god is a colonized understanding of god oh yes Yes. yes. Right. And so liberation. Really, like, <laughs> Jesus was colonized. Jesus himself was not only colonized by, by Caesar, but Jesus has been colonized by the Western church. Yep. <laughs> um, and the understanding of Jesus was colonized by the Western church. And so I think that, you know, some people talk about being deconstructionist. I'm not a deconstructionist. I'm not about just deconstructing. I'm not, I'm about decolonizing. I want to decolonize Jesus. In other words, I want to take I want to take the um, imposed whiteness off of Jesus and find out who Jesus really was. Mm. Imposed and whiteness. I think imposed Come on now. And enforced. And enforced mm-hmm. through um, through the hierarchies of human belonging that have been uh, perpetuated in the church. I mean, really, since Constantine. Constantine was the first mm-hmm. movement of the church into empire. So church married empire. And it was... It was white empire. It was European empire. And so from that point forward, Jesus became European, right? And Jesus thought like a European. And to this day, where is the center? Where is the locus of the, of the, of those who do, who are the police of orthodoxy in the church? Rome. Yeah. Rome, right? England. 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 Okay. I'm sorry. England, Germany. I mean, Mm -hmm. no, I mean, just it's, it is Europe. Mm -hmm. It's not just England, it's Europe. Mm. So, you know, Europe and it's European empires that now police what the scripture, this brown text means. Oh yeah, King James. <laughs> I was thinking. King freaking James, right? So, <laughs> right, who, who took, who took the, 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 the words of, um, in the Song of Solomon, um, I am dark and lovely and changed it to jar- dark but lovely because he couldn't imagine darkness being lovely mm. right so that's that's what has crafted our understanding of god and jesus so i am in a decolonizing 
um, period of my life right now. I mean, I mean, we, we did. In fact, if you want more of that, you can just come to Freedom Road. We're doing it all the time. Um, but we we started two years ago in the midst of the of the of the um, very soon after the lockdown. We did um, a webinar series, I think it was like a six-week webinar series called How to Decolonize the Bible. I did that one. <laughs> yes, that's right, that's right. And it was amazing. You know, we, we worked with um, one of our friends, Renee August, who is also one of our She's fantastic. Here. She is really from literally like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, from South Africa. So she and I taught that course together. And, you know, and, and she brought just incredible perspective as a black South African um, who was deemed colored by the Afrikaners, but who herself identifies as black. And that's what she claims. And so, you know, what she what she and also her people. Right. So she was her family was enslaved there because they were brought from somewhere in Central Africa down into South um, Africa in the month of August. Hence, her last name is August. That's how colonization worked there. Right. So how do you decolonize the Bible? That was that was one of our series. The next series, the next year we did decolonizing the Bible. And it was a Bible study. It was, I think, an eight week Bible study where we just got into the text. And I'm saying all this because one of my jobs was to lead Acts 2. And I was like, okay, I've, I've led Acts 2 many times. It's not going to be hard. You know, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. When I got into, oh, when I really started dissecting that text and seeing the patterns and seeing what the words actually meant in the Greek. And then that like, the moment where I I wept was where I realized all of these nations that were being, you know, that were all present speaking in tongues, speaking in each other's tongues. They were not speaking in an angel's language. They were speaking in human languages that they should not have known because again, looking at it through the lens of power, through the lens of colonization, Rome had imposed Greek as the one language everybody spoke, the trade language. And so people were really not allowed to speak their own languages in public space. And here in public space, the first act of God is to bring forth the indigenous languages of the people. First act of God on earth. The first act of the Holy Spirit is to loose the tongues of the oppressed. Mm. to loose the tongues of the oppressed. So that study, both of them are actually still available. You can see them. You can see them. You can download them, you know, take them, take the courses um, yourself at your own pace because it's now on demand um, at freedomroad.us backslash institute. And you'll find them there. So, um, yeah, so it's the the work the work i believe is not deconstruction it's decolonization deconstruction um deconstruction is not really moored in anything it's just a practice it's not moored in history there's no history that leads you to deconstruct decolonization recognizes the history that is overlaid a false understanding of the scripture and it seeks for a true understanding of the scripture it's not just about picking it apart it's about trying to understand what these ancients were writing about and how they would have understood it Hmm. and once you understand that then asking now what are the implications for us Mm. Mm. so good so good and then Mm -hmm. How, why is the reparations part so important in that? Because we can't, we can't get to the beloved community without repairing what race broke in the world. And at the core of the break is the lack of acknowledgement and the active crushing of the image of God in the other, in people. And it's not, the repair will take first and foremost the recognition and the bowing to the image of God in the other. And the other, in this case, African Americans have been saying, have been telling um, America what it will take for us to be made well for centuries, actually, and definitely for like the last several decades, going back to the 1970s, 60s with the Black Manifesto, 
um, going through HR 40, which was, you know, written like 40 years ago and submitted every year since and, and denied every, every year since. And also with, with documents like the vision statement of the movement for black lives, which really is just painting a picture of the kingdom of God, a picture of Shalom, a picture of the beloved community. Um, and so we can never get to that beloved community if we don't tell the truth about who we are. We can never get to that beloved community if we do not repent mm. of the way that we have crafted the world. Mm. And we can never get to that beloved community if we do not heal ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And I would like, I love how what, talking as you were talking about story and narrative being with, within us, um, especially as we think about for those that identify as Christian, our Christian heritage reparation is in that story from beginning to end Mm -hmm. and so we are called into this practice of repair yeah Um, and you'll hear when when you read the chapter of reparation you'll see that hmm. we talk a lot about that oh so excited i'm so excited to finish the book so excited to finish the book well, thank you all so much for having me. I mean, it really has been an incredible experience. This has been an awesome conversation, by the way. This is, I mean, I want to listen to this again. Um, and I, I really do pray that those who are listening um, would be inspired, inspired to dig deeper, mm-hmm. um, dig yes. deeper into your family stories and dig deeper into the story of Brown Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. How can people be in contact or community with you, whatever terms we're using these days. But also, people need to learn from you. You've done a lot of education, a lot of research. How can people sit at your feet and just truly absorb Mm -hmm. um, just the awesomeness? Yeah. Oh, thank you. We have the Institute, um, and the Institute has several um, downloadable uh, on-demand uh, courses that I've taught um, at the Institute, and you can you can definitely go there. So freedomroad.us backslash Institute. You can also just, you know, check out my website, lisasharonharper.com. That's where you can be connected to me really in every way, um, both through Freedom Road, but also online on social media, um, Twitter and Instagram at Lisa S. Harper, free, um, Facebook at lisasharonharper.page. And then finally... <coughs> My dog is telling me, I got to go. You got to, we got to go. Mama. <laughs> all right. All right. So we're coming. We're, we're coming. Lisa, are you still <laughs> doing yes, your Friday night um, kitchen table conversations? Yes. yes. So come and join me on Instagram on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time every Friday, unless you hear otherwise. Um, we get together and we literally just process the week. We process the week. We process what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you can see this, but my dog is now like biting at me. He's <laughs> like, I gotta go. Yes. So no, y'all, I gotta we go. We have dogs. We I, understand. Yeah. We so yeah. understand. Thank you so, <laughs> so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. God bless you. you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permissiontobepodcast.com to check out the show notes. Get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, Permission to Be Podcast, and we'll see you soon.